Welcome to the Battle Ready Podcast. My name is Aaron McManus, and I'm here with my dad. Uh, welcome to the Battle Ready Podcast. I'm Roy McManus. I'm here with Lord's Fudge. Hey, it's good to be with you guys. Oh, you're trying to See? take my spot. Except I, I, I didn't get the voice right. This no. Is, this is an example of my relationship with you two, just in the middle all the time. The middle? No. That's not true. You're at the head of the table. It's good to have you here. That's great to Down be here. Down from Seattle? Yeah. Got out of the snow for a few days. All right. So for everyone who doesn't know you, and give us a little background. Where were you born? Yeah. I'm from Seattle. Grew up in the Seattle area. Oh, and what part? What, well, what okay. All right. You're from the hood, right? <laughs> well, not the hood. I, I, I was born on Woodby Island, remote. Okay. Grew okay. up in an area called Renton. 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 Yeah. If you know it, you know how to say it. There's no T. It's spelled with a T, but Renton. you don't you don't pronounce the T. Renton. I'm Renton that house. And then, <laughs> <laughs> and then spent about 15 years here in LA, part of Mosaic. And uh, Did you come here to be an actor? Absolutely not. <laughs> okay. No. And you did live in the hood here, though. <laughs> I did have a moment in the hood. That's right. Wh- yeah. which, which part of the city? Uh, we, well, we lived in our first house was in Northwest Pasadena. Northwest. Mm-hmm. Northwest. Mm-hmm. Not the it's south, not up. south, not the south part. Not where the Rose Bowl is highlighted. Uh, it's, it's tucked behind the Rose Bowl. You know, it's the invisible part. I dropped mm-hmm. him off one time. I think, right? One yeah. time. And I didn't stop at any of the stop signs when I left. <laughs> it was hood. It was hood. No, it was great. We, we love that little house, though. But uh, yeah. yeah. About the size of this room. About the size of this room. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> he always reminds me. He's always like, I lived in a 700 square foot. Got to start somewhere. He's the one to end there. Keep going. Yes. Keep going. Tell us more about you. So I was here uh, on the team in L.A. with Mosaic for 14, 15 years. And then about two years, my family moved to, back to Seattle. Okay. Have been leading the start of Mosaic Seattle. Continue to be part of the community here. Want to stay part of the family. But be able to bring the beautiful things we experienced here in Los Angeles up uh, to Seattle to create space for others as well. And you were raised Roman Catholic. Yeah, my family's mostly Catholic, so we, we went to church like that's mostly Catholic. Mostly Catholic means like um, that's a pretty us. accurate <laughs> yeah. description of most American. Yeah, I mean, that was mostly right? Roman Catholic too, right? right. Yeah. Brian, yeah. Brian, were you raised mostly Catholic? All fully Catholic. Fully, fully Catholic. Catholic. Okay. <laughs> that's what every mostly Catholic says. <laughs> yeah. So. We would my my church experience. The, my memories of church growing up would be going to mass a few times a year. Okay, mm-hmm. you know, and always having like being caught up because there's a lot of beauty and all of that, but not fully understanding what it meant as well. Okay. So you never went to any other expression of faith or religion. Other no, than no, not really. And I was always open to the reality of God. I never didn't believe in God, but I never understood the person of Jesus and you know how to connect in an intimate, personal way with Him. Mm. So. At what point in your life did that change for you? Yeah, when I was, you know, 18, 19, 20, I started exploring all kinds of things. I was in, in college and I even began taking like religion courses mm-hmm. out of curiosity. So I took a class on Islam and Buddhism. And Where'd you go to college? I went to a small school in Oregon called Linfield College. Okay. Yeah. What was the mascot? The, we were the Wildcats. The Wildcats. You went to a high school that was the Wildcats. That's true. Yeah. I did. Millbrook Wildcats yeah. in uh, Raleigh, North Carolina. There we go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But in the midst of that process, began to just explore everything. I came to this place where I, I remember one night consciously going, I believe in Jesus. Now I have to decide whether or not I'm actually going to follow him or not. Because mm-hmm. I did. I was like, I'm not going to be in the middle. I'm either going to be all in or I'm going to be all out. Mm-hmm. And um, made that decision to move forward, not knowing at all what that meant for my life. Just going, I'm going to figure out what that looks like along the way. And mm-hmm. it's if I remember correctly, the, the way that your path kind of intersected with mine was someone gave you a copy of one of my books. That's right. Yeah, I was um, in Oregon, living in Oregon at the time, like 22 years old, and uh, somebody who really was like a, a 
kind of a mentor in my life gave me a book, said, read this. I read it. I actually read it with like 10 people what book, you know, uh, An Unstoppable Force. Wow. And I was the like- first the first book I ever wrote. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, this makes, this makes sense to me. I was in a very like conservative part of Oregon. And uh, most people were like, I don't understand what he's saying at all. <laughs> and I was like, this makes sense. That's the way people respond to my books. <laughs> <laughs> and then my, Especially to that one. Now it's different. One. The world's different. Yeah. No, I will still say though, I, in my, my opinion, admire mm-hmm. all your work, of course, but I think that's the most significant work you've, you've uh, written. Thank you so I much. Think it, I think it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's hold true 20 years later. I think it's an incredible book for people who are like, who see Mosaic today and, and follow you, but to go back in time and see what it is you're building when nobody knew who you were and nobody knew who Mosaic was is important to see your words then and how they still ring true today. Hmm. So then you chose to come down to LA? Chose to come down to LA. My wife and I were newly married. My wife, Kelly, were married in Oregon. We moved down here. Um, I was unpacking, put books on the shelf, saw your book. I think I think this guy has a church in LA somewhere. And we, uh, we visited that Sunday, walked in, walked out. Um, and then I was like, like immediately walked out (laughs) pretty much. Yeah. I saw you. I was like, who's that kid? I'm out of here. No, we, we, we attended, we just joined, we, we left afterward. And the next day is when hurricane Katrina happened and I didn't know anybody here. Kelly was starting work. I had like three weeks off before I was doing anything and I couldn't get a hold of any organization to go and, and volunteer with the red cross. So I just called the church's office when we had an office back Mm -hmm. then. And that would have been in Pasadena, right? Yeah. So and I, would, I would have been in college, I think. Yeah. Uh, you might have been in high school. I think yeah, you were in high school. school. Yeah, you were in high school. And um, I was invited to meet the team, a, a team of people from Mosaic at LAX at like 5 o'clock the next morning. And I met everybody there, was doing introductions at Baggage Claim in Houston where we served for two weeks and just dove in right away. So your first really um, immersion into Mosaic was going to Houston and serving down there. Yeah, it was in like immediate response. That's so you know? Mosaic. Yeah, it was. I and that. I learned quickly. I was like, this is, these are my people, you know, move fast, you know, cool. step in to address the problems and, and serve people in need. Yeah. That's, that's but one amazing. of the reasons I was excited to have you on the show when, and have you in LA, but uh, is so we could have a conversation about leadership. Because so much of your practical leadership was learned in the context here. And you've been um, in several different environments to apply your leadership skills and to develop and grow. And, and, uh, and, and then Aaron, uh, you've had a very parallel journey in terms of starting new campuses or new things mm-hmm. as well as uh, Lawrence. So I just thought it'd be really fun to talk about leadership things you've learned, things we've learned, maybe things that make Mosaic unique in its leadership philosophy. Well, we started, you went to South Pass. So, I mean, we'll go, we'll get into this, mm-hmm. but, but you went to South Pass the same time I went to Venice. Right. It was like the same week almost, like right? The, like we, the three of us had coffee and we're just discussing, it's time for us to to spread out and have other campuses in the LA area. Right. Or like, do we go west? Do we go east? And I think that Erwin Eula said both. Yeah. And so yeah. we, we were went out to searching. Out, yeah. We knew we wanted to do both, but right. we, we didn't know when. Yeah. We did what everybody said don't do when you're starting campuses, which is um, you start one at a time. Yeah. And we decided, no, we're doing two. In fact, I just had a meeting with, you know, my, my board. <laughs> And the input I got from one of them was, just start one and succeed. <laughs> and so I came out of the meeting and said, okay, we're going to start several, <laughs> several and, what? Uh, campuses at the same time. Oh, oh, at that. Oh, yeah. I thought you were talking about you just talked to them recently. No, you no, back then. Talk, yeah, yeah. No, I remember, I remember real that. specifically. Yeah. yeah. And, and and some of it was um, the wisdom of Solomon. You, you know, you don't really put everything into one basket. <laughs> you know, you want to diversify 
And, and so we went ahead and diversified our launching of campuses and hoped that out of those, something would emerge that would remain. And it, that was an interesting time, right? Because we were, we're, we were kind of hitting max capacity in this venue in Hollywood, in, in the city. And we had like looked at where people were kind of migrating from. And we mm -hmm. obviously knew there's a good amount. You were in you were in that side of town. Oh, you were in Burbank at the time, I think, or in the Valley. Yeah, but we had so many people who'd been with us for years who were, who were out of side of town. Yeah. Pasadena and South Pass. And then mm -hmm. we had found that there was a pocket of, of people on the west side. So it, I think there were moments when we started them at the same time being like, why did we do this? <laughs> <laughs> moments every day. Yeah, I think we, we had like, that feeling. Can we yeah. share drummers? Can we like, <laughs> we're just trying to figure how do we get people to, to, to be able to just get the teams to get the thing started because you were dealing with so many families who didn't have time, you know, n n it was different. Yeah. And then I was doing tons of young people, of people who had so much time. Yeah. You know, in Hollywood and Venice, you have a lot of young people who yeah. are super fun, energetic, talented, and have unemployed. a lot of unemployed. unemployed. <laughs> yeah. And, and, but have a lot of time. Yeah. And in a place like South Pasadena, you have people who have busy lives. They've got kids, they've got their careers. So they're not really giving much time. They don't have, and what they do give will be great, but they don't have a lot of excess time to give. You it know? was really very similar in Venice. Those were people who had jobs. People who had jobs, <laughs> but they, but they didn't have kids. Yeah. So Venice had jobs, uh, careers, but no kids. And so they had a little bit more expendable time, like at nights and on the weekends. Yeah. They were they were cool. Yeah, and Hollywood has you know? no jobs and no kids. Yeah. And so when you're starting something new. Just all kids. And by the way, <laughs> it, it, you start Pasadena. <laughs> yeah, you start Venice. But you also don't realize that means that some of our top leadership left Hollywood. Right. And so it doesn't just affect the new campuses you're starting. It also affects the the campus is supposed to be the most sustainable and the most solid. And so you have that exodus of leaders and volunteers going, and sometimes you lose your best people to the new endeavors because they want to do whatever's new. Like the, there, there is kind of a culture at Mosaic where um, our, our best people, they, they don't want to get left behind. So, what, so their yes is to whatever is new. They want to go, is this the most important thing you're doing? Is this the most important thing you're right. doing? Is this, is yeah. this the, the hot flaming center? I want to go there. It did seem, though, we took not, you know, all the leaders in Venice, I love you. But it seemed like we 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 weren't the A team. We definitely weren't the A team. We were like third or – because there was like you and then Joe and then a couple other guys. I mean, Emerson was still here. There, You know, if it got to me, three people were sick, Lawrence was on vacation, <laughs> and Emerson was like somewhere in San Diego or something. So it, we really did take like the third or fourth or fifth person down the, the like, you know – well, I don't know. It's not like a lineup, but age-wise, just <laughs> distance from the top. Well, some of it is whoever you start with and is, uh, as the leader, that identifies who is going to join that team. Mm. And so if you have someone who's 26 and single, you can't expect a lot of people who are 42 married with kids to join on jump on that team. If you have someone who's you know married with three kids, you're, you're probably not going to see... A, a, a whole movement of singles who are 22 join that team. So you were really young and single, as you still are, by the way. Anyone a listening? Bit older though. <laughs> yeah, but now you, but you're <laughs> very young, yeah. and so that, in a sense, created a, a a ceiling, a cultural ceiling for who's going to join your team. And 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 then you're married and you had kids and everything like that, and so that kind of drew families to you with kids. And I think when we made the decision about which direction we were going, mm -hmm. we 
We're cognizant of that. Very aware of it. Yeah. Who fit the communities we were stepping you into. You went to the areas that yeah. actually fit you. <laughs> we did. But yeah. you also found that you had like a lot of – we. I was really interested in how many families we did have come with us, which weren't many. But no. there were 10 or 15 that were like really pivotal in mm-hmm. keeping the west side, the Venice – because we were in Venice and then we were really in Santa Monica and that was like a whole thing because they're uh, two miles apart. But we couldn't get a venue big enough. <laughs> yeah. So it was that – but then, you know, so we were more in a residential area – but we couldn't get families to come because they'd be like, oh, it's just like 200, 300. That's so funny well, I, for everyone listening from around the country, around the world, th- that you would describe where we were in Santa Monica as residential. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, we were, no. we were, we were in the, we were in the tour. We were like, but Santa Monica is interesting, right? Because it's like you're two blocks off of the, the, the touristy part. And then you're one block away from some of the wealthiest homes in in, on yeah. the beach city, like in Santa Monica. So we but were like, you're, you're walking distance from the third street promenade. You're walking, but we were also distance, walking from, distance from like homes. Yeah. But it just, it, it wasn't residential. No, no, <laughs> we, we parked in a parking garage. Yeah. It wasn't super yeah. residential. There, yeah. there are the restaurant, Leave a BF Chang's right next door. <laughs> I'm getting bullied on this yeah. podcast. I just, I know there's someone listening going, Oh, I, I know. And they have a picture of what a residential okay. area looks yeah. like. Okay, that's it, right. It's okay, not yeah, that. Yeah. Uh, okay. It's not residential. And the reason for that is because it's, because there's no houses. It's a, it's a different challenge reaching a place that is not residential. Well, we can get to that in the next episode. <laughs> my one year in the suburbs. And uh, oh, that was, the, I thought you didn't want to talk about that. No, I don't. <laughs> we were going to black ink we that section. Some, we had some great success, but some by some great failures. <laughs> but even in the great failures, we had great successes. I mean, we met some, such incredible people. It's harder to reach. I think it's different to reach a suburb than it is to reach a city. Absolutely, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. And, and that was, South Pass in many ways was one of the, first truly like suburban feeling communities we try yeah. to reach for a long time yeah so different yeah. values you know different yeah. lifestyle and but even that statement approach. for 99.9% of the churches across uh, the western world reaching suburbs is easier than reaching cities mm-hmm. but for mosaic reaching suburbs is harder than reaching cities cuz cities are what we know right and even the people who yeah. joined us in south pass when we started that campus were very cosmopolitan people whose life had pulled them to a place like Pasadena, South Pasadena. They were still city people. They were. Yeah. Their culture, their their worldview yeah. fit the mm-hmm. city. They had just decided yeah. their phase of life drew them 20, 30 minutes away. Yeah, they were reluctantly in the suburbs, <laughs> but they still psychologically saw themselves as part of Hollywood right. or L.A. Yeah. But they yeah. just, they had the um, the misfortune of becoming successful. <laughs> <laughs> they bought a house, had kids, and uh, and so I, I think of some of my friends that were some of the edgiest people in L.A., and then suddenly 10 years later, they're married, and they have kids, and it's, they have a house. And, it's amazing how that changes your perspective, right, Tess? That's right. <laughs> and, uh, but so let's talk about leadership, all right, because both let's of you started things from scratch. and um, well, You started many things from scratch. Yeah, that's been my history, and a lot of it is because... Um, if you can't get picked, you got to pick yourself. <laughs> no, to open that up, though, I think that's a great. That's a, I'm just looking to see if there's any questions on the, the Instagram. Yeah, I think that there's some uh, people and certain personality um, structures that are just really attractive to organizations. And people go, I want to hire that person. That's the person I want running my company or my organization or my church, whatever it is. And And I don't have that personality structure. And so I was never the person a company would go, oh, I want him to run our company or a church. Oh, I want him to lead our church or an organization. Oh, I think he should be the one. And, and so if I waited all my life to be identified and picked as a leader, 
I would still be sitting around going, uh, God, why haven't you like done anything in my life? So I just basically had to choose to pioneer, to be highly entrepreneurial and start things from scratch. So there's a sense where um, you can use it as an excuse all your life that no one gave you a chance, or you can just go, I got to pick myself and I have to go do this. And, and that's been true pretty much in everything I've ever done. You know, no one ever said to me, oh, you should do this, or we'd love for you to do this. I just went and did it, and then later someone said, oh, we see you're doing that. And, uh, but I do think it, there, there are dynamically different skills in leading an organization that exists and, uh, and starting something from scratch. You guys are what I would call um, leaders in an, like an ecotonic uh, system where um, you have like some places are fresh water, some places are salt water. Then you have these, uh, these ecotonic states where you have fresh water and, and salt water overlapping and only certain species can survive there. And both of you learned your leadership skills in, in these kind of blended ecosystems where you were a part of something and you're starting something at the same what time. What the heck is ecotonic? And, uh, well, it's just an ecosystem and where you have an overlap of two ecosystems. And so saltwater, freshwater is the best example. The mouth of a river. Give. The mouth of a river. Yeah. Where the water goes in and out with the tide. Yeah. And, and so, there, so, you know, like you have freshwater fish, you have saltwater fish, but usually they can't survive in the other, in the other environment. And so you had to learn how to lead in an environment where something exists, mosaic, and my leadership, the culture we've created, that's true for you too. At the same time, you had to go create something that was new and fresh and, and could also like survive on its own. And, and that's a challenge, right? And, and so maybe some of the um, – did you find some questions on leadership? Nothing no. good yet. Nothing good yet? And so maybe I, I think one of the questions I, I would ask you guys are like, what are some of the things you thought uh, about leadership that you later felt like, oh, I wasn't right about that? Or, you know, something you learned about how to lead that kind of came in the middle of it? So many things I've done wrong. <laughs> I, you know, one of the things so I think many. stepping in and, and starting new things within mm-hmm. um, within Mosaic mm-hmm. and really under your leadership is I'm the type of person who my own like mental structure wants to build something, build a team and then let let that one go and then move on to the next thing. Mm-hmm. And the thing I've, I've had to remind myself over and over again and I've learned the hard way at times is you never actually stop building that first thing. <laughs> it's always in the process of being built. Because once it's built, it's you're going to have attrition. It's going to soften at times or the context in which you're trying to lead that group of people may change. And so you might need a little bit different team, a little different makeup. People could move. They could, you know, get mad at me because I told them to get their dog out of the building or whatever comes up. <laughs> or because we don't baptize cats. Or, <laughs> or because we don't baptize, yeah. <laughs> and and so you're never like... That's I think, a true story. No, absolutely. Like you, we, have, you have a couple of nicknames. Oh, I have a lot of nicknames. You, one of the them Yelp being, deep dive on me is you'd finish the story, and then I think we should have a reminiscing moment of, <laughs> of our of our most because we both were here in Hollywood before everything kind of grew into right. different campuses, yeah. and now you're in Seattle. But there were some weird things that happened here, so we should do a segment. You of know, this. Pe- people all over the world, it seems like, try to say like that Hollywood's crazy. That people in Hollywood are crazy. Yeah, because. They're freaking nuts. And and the reality is if you're here <laughs> and you really pull back the curtain, 
Hollywood crazy. <laughs> oh, it's it, the depth of it is much more um, noticeable the longer you're here. You know, and it is pretty funny, but yeah, especially yeah. this corner. But keep finishing. Yeah, finish no, I think I think that in my mind a, a mistake I made that I've had to correct myself on, or just be self aware on, is right. I want to see something get built and trust that once it's built, it's going to stay built, mm-hmm. as opposed to going while it's continuing to grow, you always have to keep rebuilding it at the same time. Mm-hmm. Especially in a, a cultural environment like uh, Los Angeles, right? You're not building with concrete; you're a sand sculpturist, and uh, and every time the tide comes in, the sand begins to wash away. Uh, I, I remember. What do you mean by that? Like, but I know that the metaphorical. I understand the metaphor, but what do you mean by that? There was a season at Mosaic where you we had to re-reach at least 25% of our congregation every year just to stay the same number. And so when we were at 1,000, if we didn't uh, reach and, and, and integrate at least 300 people, we wouldn't even stay at 1,000. And, and, and so when you look at a church staying the same number, like when you build a church in the suburbs, it's different because people buy their houses right. there. They're not going to just leave in three months. And so you don't have attrition. So when you grow a church of 200, 500,000, 5,000, those 5,000 people, they're there. They're permanent. They're more permanent than you. You may be gone before they're gone. But in LA, every, it's so transitory. And um, there were years where for every three people moving in, there were four people moving out, where we would see 1,000 people. I remember one month, uh, 1,000 people suddenly left LA because of the economic situation. And that's just from our church. Not, I'm not talking about the city. And so when you walk in one day and you realize a thousand of our volunteers are no longer here, a thousand of our attenders are no longer here, and you're having to catch up just to stay at zero point. That's right. And you can feel demoralized when you've put all this time into people, you've helped them grow, mm-hmm. they've developed as a leader, and then life takes them away, or mm-hmm. you know they can move back to yeah. Michigan. If I always felt like everybody in Hollywood is from Michigan <laughs> for some reason. There's a lot, right? There's a lot, a lot of people here from Michigan. <laughs> so, so my mistake was that I wanted to see it, the, the team get built, you know, and then be able to rest assured that it's going to keep going forward. And the thing I've had to learn is you're always rebuilding that team. Yeah. Because it's inevitable that you're going to have people who quickly move yeah. on for a variety of reasons. In a city like LA, and there are other places that are similar, you're always um, starting from scratch. Right. You're always beginning anew. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, you're trying to scoop out the water as it's flooding the boat. Yeah. I think know? one time a journalist sent me a question, you know, um, why does Mosaic have so many people leaving? And one, we have the opposite. LA has a lot of people leaving. More people actually stay because of Mosaic. Our percentage of people who actually leave LA would be dramatically less because they decide to stay here just because of the church. LA has a lot of people who come here and they're gonna make it big and three months later, they're gone. Six months later, they're gone. A year later, they're gone. That's just the reality of the city that we live in. And what's amazing to me is that the church actually creates community for people. I know a lot of people have told me if it wasn't for the church, I would leave Los Angeles. In fact, I've had my kids tell me that. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm right there right now. Um, so, okay, so one thing that, that we found, especially like in Venice, and I think for, for new leaders or people who are trying to be a part of teams, something that was, it was a hard, it's a hard thing to swallow. Like, I know that a lot of our younger guys would be like, this person's leaving. This person's not around anymore. And I'm like, yeah, but we had five new people. We don't know what to do with them. You know what I mean? And so you were constantly <laughs> having to like let go and like and and reacclimate and reintroduce new people continuously and finding like new on ramping systems because there's no way you can do it personally. 
So you're just setting up system after system after team after team after team to just like I can remember you have it you had a team in Seattle that would literally just it was like the tour. You would take everyone and and he would they would like, Hey, welcome to Mosaic. This is the production team. Let's go <laughs> hi production team and it was like the TMZ bus that drives past Mosaic. <laughs> and I was like, that's a brilliant idea because three of those five people might stay, some of them might move. But at least they've gone to know the different people in Mosaic, and it's not on you to introduce everyone. Well, that's another leadership lesson, right? You can't be the glue for every person one-on-one, like yeah. in an individual sense. Right. And, you know, when I've tried to do that in my life, I inevitably fail somebody who's looking toward me to be the person to immediately help them, to make sure they're in a good place, to counsel them, pastor them directly. Yeah. And there's almost a conflicting... Um, Two conflicting currents. Like to build the church and grow the church effectively, you have to develop leaders. But people don't come to Mosaic or they don't go to church to say, I want to come to church to become a leader. There's a few people who do that, but it's very rare. Most people come for therapeutic reasons. I'm not doing well. My relationships are falling apart. I'm depressed. I'm lonely. Um, I'm emotionally unstable. I'm afraid. I'm, uh, I'm failing. So they're coming to the church for therapeutic reasons. And so you're getting volunteers who actually are there for therapy, but you actually need them to care about other people more than themselves. And so there's really two conflicting currents. And because you, you can't build a healthy organization on people who are unhealthy. It's really challenging. So you're trying to help people get healthy while they're serving. And and if they don't get healthy, you're responsible for them not getting healthy. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. and, and at the same time, um, if you don't have people who really exhibit strong leadership gifts, and I'm not even talking about talent, I'm just talking about character, just consistency and, and trustworthiness, you can't really build a good... A good um, ministry or movement or church. And so part of the challenge that I think when you're starting something new is, when you're starting something new is like, you've got to take whoever's volunteering. But you also realize that that person may not have the capacity to lead for a long time because they, you know, they're just not at the emotional, psychological, spiritual level that they need to be at. Yeah. And I think this is part of the lesson of learning, you know, how to start something new. And and one thing I experienced, and Aaron, you were coming up with me early, the early days of Seattle, even before we, yeah. we moved up there, yeah. was you're trying to build something with people who don't really know, they don't know me, and I don't really know them. Mm-hmm. And yet you're trying to formulate how can you create a team out of this. And that was one of the differences even starting here was like, I go to South Pass, you go to Venice, you kind of bring a core people who you trust, you know one another to do this together yeah. versus the experience of doing it mm-hmm. more from scratch is that you're doing that in the process. You're getting to know them. You're getting to see their character, their faithfulness, all of these things yeah. while you are actually doing it. I mean, we, I'm trying to think, we, the, we did a worship night in Seattle and then we made friends from that night and then we would fly up every week and just meet with people, coffees. Sometimes we'd be together, sometimes we wouldn't be together. And then we would just be like, oh, I sat with this person for two or three hours or sat with this person, had dinner or sat with this person. And it was like six months of that before – I think it was like four months before you ever even – before you were even moving. You were like in the, the process of like finding everything. Yeah, we, we – you and I probably went and, up a dozen times in six in six months before yeah. I – before Kelly and I moved up there moved, with our kids. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That was wild. And it was just dinners. It was dinner parties. I mean how many people do we meet in dinner parties where we're yeah. really calling them to be – 
sacrificial, yeah. like explaining exactly how much it's going to take of them. Yeah. And then how many of the people actually showed up when it was time to get started. Yeah. Because yeah. it's one thing to be caught up in the idea of something. Yeah. And then when the yeah, reality yeah. of everything's going to take comes, yeah. it's a it's a much harder line to cross, right? Yeah. yeah. There's this kind of biblical concept of Esau and Jacob where uh, Esau shows up first, but Jacob is really who you need. And you know, how many times did you have someone volunteer or say yes right away and you go, oh, they're the person, but you realize that they're actually not the person and that it's the person who's a little slower. The person who's a little slower to commit is probably the person who's going to stay with you long term. The person who's really fast commit is usually a person who's really fast to uncommit. And I think it's one of the challenges when you're starting something new. Yeah. So one of the unique things that happened that affected both your campuses is that you you had uh, a person on your team in South Pass, uh, Carlos, and you had a person on your team in Venice, Andres. Andres. And ironically, they're cousins. They're both Puerto Rican, and they were they're great. They're still on our team today, but they were um, not the best chemistry mix for your teams. And no, I loved Andres. I loved Carlos. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> I still love Carlos, yeah. it, but we. Okay, okay, it, it's it, not it, that there was no love. There's so much no, love. No, I mean, that's, di- like, that's also a different dynamic about Mosaic too. Is we're all f- a lot of us are friends. Yeah, a lot, especially a lot of the, a lot of the guys, a lot of the girls, but like a lot of the boys are friends. And when you're working together and having to admit you're not good at something or it doesn't fit, it's a totally different conversation. Right, but that's why I said have. it was it wasn't the right chemistry mix. Right, right, right. right. Would and you say that? I think that. Carlos being with us in South Pass was perfect for when we first started. Yeah, because he's an energizer. He's just, yeah, he brought so much energy when we needed it, when we were small and trying to build up. Okay, so you guys never had any, like, knockdown, drag-out fights or... I mean, I'm sure we did. (laughs) Aaron and I had knocked it. We all had, This is Battlegrounds. We had so many fights. No, but it was... Do you want to keep establishing it, or do you want to just no? Dive I feel into I it? feel for those listening, it has not been properly established. Okay, I could give I could give some context. There, if if to fairly say this, we were we Andres' were, wife was listening. So Andres' wife is one of the producers. She in the back, That's right. and she brought it up when we. we this She's is, the one who brought it up. Brought it up. I I think we were we were learning about the campuses we were growing and building into, learning about the cities, mm-hmm. and if anything, this was a this like this situation. I felt like was a great learning tool for Seattle and for the different campuses for the future because we got on the phone one day and we swapped them. <laughs> we switched them out. We made a trade. We like made a, a deal. sports trade. That's, that's yeah. right. It yeah. Was, but it was it was really two number one draft picks. Yeah. You know, it's it's Goff and Stafford being traded. <laughs> wow. <laughs> one went to Detroit. Um, no, but it, but it actually... Like on Andres fit South Pass more, yeah, absolutely. And Carlos fit the, the Venice stuff more, and and like I know my team was super sad when Andres left, because for me it wasn't him leave. I was like I still get to see him. There was no stress for me. Right. I was like oh I like him. This was no, this was no bad blood. And if anything, he was getting a promotion because you were bigger, much bigger at the time. <laughs> there were people to sing to and to be on on team. <laughs> We were in there, ve- there are nicer places to get to live <laughs> in that direction. Yeah, you, and you, in South, it was beautiful. And this like beautiful old theater. And we were still struggling and figuring things out. So Carlos got kind of sent down to the minor leagues. And he, and then Andres got, got bumped up to the majors. 
And but the, and then it just it was more of a personality switch. I think it was better for each of us. Yeah, and I think that their their placement when it began made sense as well. I think for sure. Andres is very like pastoral, theologically intellect. sound, <laughs> biblical. Yeah, okay, I was wasn't gonna say that, I, but true. He was ghostwriting most of my talks. <laughs> he had his his staff theologian with him. I would send him. Does this make any sense? Did Jesus say this? And, uh, and the switch, so I think I think that the mistake would have been if we would have kept them where they were longer term. But I think the switch was uh, an appropriate leadership decision at that moment, yeah. And when we got on the phone, and t- I, did you, we go? You guys are so diplomatic. And I, I would say that <laughs> one of the dynamic differences is that every culture has a uh, different cultural pace. And the cultural pace of South Pass is slower. The cultural pace of any place Aaron's going to be is a little more frenzied. <laughs> And whether it's Venice, and that's why you're looking for a little more of a fast-paced kind of space. Mm-hmm. Um, Carlos, uh, on, on a, something that we call the Berkman, actually, is only a two on activity. So he doesn't have a massive amount of social energy, but he's very extroverted, and he's more frenzied in his energy. Who? Carlos. Yeah. And um, that was maybe not a positive on your team, but it's, it was more of a positive on your team. Because you you want someone who had spurts of energy that moved quick with you. Yeah, because I don't, I don't have that yeah. as much. Yeah, and so he became the socializing yeah. element for you, yeah. Yeah. and that helped make up for what you felt you couldn't bring to that space. Yeah, but it was great though because Andres is like he's solid. <laughs> Not that Carlos isn't, but Andres is solid. He's like he's like because he's he moves slow. Yes, but he does move I'm at a slower at pace. In the, in, the, in the box. And that did fit the South Pasadena culture. Better. But he was solid. So he was yeah. a great second person with me because where they didn't feel I was solid, they looked at Andres and felt safe. <laughs> right? And so then, then we got to this issue with I had, now I had me and Carlos. Which made you look solid. <laughs> and, and it made me look solid. Which was good for me, mm-hmm. but then also I had to go find someone out. Like I had to go find Oscar and Ryan Cook. I really depended on Ryan Cook mm-hmm. because I was like, okay, Carlos had to like go and really build some other things, and then and then Ryan Cook really stood in place of like being like uh, the family man guy. Mm-hmm. Not that Carlos wasn't, but he had to go start something from scratch. Really, like Andres had kind of gotten shipped over with the guys. That we only had one band. It was Andres's band. And ironically, they're both in MSC, so they're both musicals, so they both even have impacted the musical aspect of each campus. Yeah, and we had one other worship leader, J- JD, and he led for nine months straight. It was like this thing. He's a great example. As a volunteer, yeah. As a volunteer, he had a full-time business job, professional job. I remember like the first, like, I remember Carlos, JD wants a week off. I'm like... Well, good. I was imagining this was going to happen at some point, and he took a t- he took a few months off. He took some time off, and I was like, he led nine months straight, nine months every week, and did not mention a word. And then he like it was a natural break. He needed a, it was like his birthday. He took a vacation. I was like, good, get out of here. Don't come back for a while. But part of the reason I wanted to highlight this was um, one is that I, I think very few organizations. Right are adaptive enough to let people move around or to move people around so they can be in the right fit. And if you, if you don't make it, you're fired. It, it, you know? And one of the dynamics of Mosaic is that we really do move people around until, because yeah. we realize it's not just about an individual, it's what team you work with. Like there, there's a synergy that happens when two or three people commit to each other. They become 
exponentially stronger than they are as individuals. So it is not yeah. one plus one equals two. It, if you get the right one plus the right one, it's like 10. It's like magic. It is. Yeah. And, 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 and for, I'm just saying this on the past podcast, like Carlos, you know, his personality and approach toward, you know, life and work, it created some pretty negative scenarios for him. And, uh, and, but you felt you could really work with Carlos's personality and actually created a place where he flourished. Yeah. Cause I had worked with Emerson <laughs> and Emerson's even more, like, and I like, this is not a talking badly. This is just talking realistically, mm-hmm. right? Like there, we were all wild stallions, but I could, I could, I knew how to work with Carlos and you knew how to work with Andres. And, th- but th- when he left, there were issues, right? And then when Andres left, there were issues. Like there's still gaps that are, are, that needed to be filled. Sure. That the other person didn't solve the problems, fill the gaps. Well, and they, they they're not going to kind of energy, right? And they don't fill the gaps perfectly because they're not the same people, right? So what Carlos was doing in one place, if they switch, and they're they're not going to naturally fit. So there was a time where they had to build up their own team and how yeah. they led with a group of people. It yeah. doesn't transfer t- titles and positionally in that mm-hmm. way. No. It doesn't because people are different. And even if the title's the same, the role is different because people's gifting and their strengths and their uh, the, the whole makeup as a person changes the role. Just like you, and that's the thing is like just as a campus pastor, I mean, with yourself, Lawrence, and 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 yourself, Aaron, and Emerson, you mentioned Emerson down in Mexico, or David now in South Pass. Personalities are so different, and uh, the personality of the leader does affect the culture. And 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 I think, and this is what I say as a follower. A lot of times, um, people you know ask questions as a person who's on a team, and I go, a uh, part of it is realizing it doesn't mean that. If you're not working well with a leader, it doesn't mean they're a bad human being. It doesn't even mean that they're a bad leader. Their leadership style may not match who you are as a person. And so instead of indicting every leader saying, oh, my pastor is a bad leader or my boss is a bad leader, realize that maybe their leadership style doesn't match your following style. <laughs> you know? Well, to be it's just, I always find it odd when people are when people blame the leader. Because, like, I still choose to be here. Right. And mm-hmm. if I blame you, I'm really blaming myself for still being here. Because if I don't like it, then I can choose to go somewhere else and go find – di- I can choose to go to a different team. I can choose to go, go to a different campus. I can choose to go to a different church. But I always find it odd when people are blame the leader. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean that leaders leaders have so many issues. That's the thing. You're, you're going to find them. And it's really like, you know, you get, I think people think when they get married, it solves all the problems. Like, no, you, there's still a whole set of weaknesses. You're having to deal with a whole another person's set of weaknesses and you're having to match each other and build. That's what I hear. I don't know. I'm not married. Right. But it's, it is <laughs> a like great that. insight as finding, a single person. <laughs> when you're fi- thank you. Thank yeah. you. I've been reading books about it. Um, but I think that's the same thing with a leader, right? Like I had to surround myself with much kinder, warmer people, more extroverted. I had Ryan Cook. That Between Ryan Cook and and Matt Pagan and Carlos, I almost never had to talk to anybody. <laughs> I, t- I talked to them and they ran a lot of it, you know, because they were so social. Yeah, one of the funny things is uh, when we first started using the Strain Finder, because it was developed out of here by Chip Anderson uh, here from Mosaic, and um, and we gave the Strain Finder to our staff. I think out of like 12 staff people, nine of them had woo which Wu is the uh, the strength called winning others over. So it's it, Wu oh, is wow. the most extroverted talent or strength, yeah. and I have Um, you know, has the opposite, opposite of Wu. And yeah. but people see me as super, I think, relational and extroverted. But it's because I built an entire team of highly extroverted relational people, 
instinctively because I knew that was my weakness. I think a key part of leadership is being aware of your strengths and weaknesses, building teams based on those strengths and weaknesses. And I think what happened in the switch, which is, I think is awesome, is that Andres and Carlos are both amazing people, but on the wrong team, they could look like a, um, a deficit. And on the right team, they look like an asset. And I wonder how many places people are actually seen as deficits because they're not in the right role or on the right team. And when you get yourself around the right people, you start looking like an asset as well. And I think that's one of the keys to great leadership is when you build great teams, suddenly you're a great leader. If you have a bad team, suddenly you're a terrible leader. And I will say both of you, you uh, your ceiling has never been your talent because you've always surrounded yourself with great people. And because you're willing to empower other people, your ceiling keeps getting elevated by the gifts and talents of other people. Okay. So I, I'm the listener right now, and I want to start something from scratch, and I need to put together a team. And or maybe I'm going to do a mosaic house. What, and Well, I think it looks differently now, right? But mm-hmm. you can ask your question. But. No, my question is, so what are some things you've learned to, to identify in a person that you feel like will hang in there and be really a good choice for a leadership team? Yeah. Mine's probably very different than yours. Okay. I, I would say I, I try to look at um, character character first. Does it exhibit itself like over a course of time? Okay, but be more specific than yeah, character. Faith, are they faithful? Are they reliable? Like do they respond quickly? Do, do they have things like if I'm building a team, do they hustle? Do they communicate back? Like do they want – do they show – evidence that they want to actually grow and learn and receive input and feedback. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because everybody, like you said, everybody feel, feels excited at the beginning, but once you get into it and it becomes challenging, you have to know that they're actually going to like push yeah. through all yeah, of that yeah. with you. Yeah. No, I, I agree with all I, that. And, you, and you've dealt with, you've dealt with it different because you, you know, because South Pass was very different than Seattle because South Pass, you were working with people you kind of knew. You know, like they were in our church already, and then you were kind of finding young people to kind of fill in some right. gaps of teams. And then Seattle was really starting fresh, and you had some people move up, but not many. It was over attrition over time. Yeah, I actually have a little, um, little sticky post-it note I've had in my wallet for like twelve years that has things I look for mm-hmm. when I'm identifying people because I have like a blind spot. Yeah, and I so I, I read that every once in a while and go, you know, so, so give us a quick, remind. quick, quick, quick. Go well, I don't have it all with me, but a couple of things are there are. Do people understand their strengths? Like, do they know who they really are? Or do they aspire to be something they're not? Mm, yeah. You know, um, that they have emotional intelligence. Mm. So if we're in a team meeting, that that's not their therapy time. Mm. You know, like that's not the appropriate place for you to unpack all of that. You're the right? Kevin Pena. No. <laughs> and it's a real thing, though. People walk into yeah. groups and then think this is the time to spill everything. Right. And, and a thir- another one is, you know, we use the language of being all in. We've used that for years. Mm-hmm. And I want to know two things because sometimes, you you know, I want to know they're all in with with Mosaic and they're all in with Jesus, both. Because mm-hmm. sometimes you'll find a person who's all in with Jesus. It isn't sure about what you are as a church. Other mm-hmm. times they're like, I love yeah. Mosaic and I'm still figuring out the Jesus part, yeah. you know, but I have to see the fusion of both of those in that person's life mm-hmm. to be invited in that inner circle. Yeah. Um, so I have, I've, I've just had these as a reminder for years because I find myself making the same blind spot mistakes at various times. Yeah. And you wouldn't say this, but I'm going to add this. They need to be not only all in with Jesus and all in with the church, but they need to be all in with you if you're the leader to be on your team. Yeah, and I think that Aaron has actually brought a lot of that in. It's like this idea of loyalty, yeah. you know, being loyal to one another um, has elevated within me because I would almost like uh, 
sacrifice that piece of it. And it's cost you. It has. Yeah, yeah, because you're, the funny thing about it is that you're intensely loyal, but you, you didn't um, expect loyalty back. Right. So what it ended up doing is bringing people in that you were loyal to, but it really didn't have that same level come into you. And what I find is that... But, uh, same for you. For same for me. Oh, yeah. yeah. You, you reflect my weakness. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. But it does cost you. And what's, what sometimes is hard to understand is that uh, loyalty to Jesus is very ethereal. It, loyalty to people is very concrete. And loyalty to leadership is even more concrete. And I always, like, one of the things I actually always prided myself on was I was a really good employee. Uh, no matter where I worked and what I did, I tried to be the best guy flipping hamburgers or the best guy, you know, making pizzas and lasagna. I was, you know, the best guy at the construction job. I was, the, you know, I, when I worked um, after I became a believer, you know, I, I, I worked for a boss I completely disagreed with, but I was completely loyal and I wanted to be his best employee. And, and I have always, you know, felt like the best evidence that I would be a good leader is that I was a good follower. And, and I think sometimes we don't really give ourselves that room as a leader to go, I should expect of others what I've expected of myself. And, um, and, and even though it's joking, like one of the things like is like I, I, I know Kevin Pena would give his life for any one of us. Right. You, you know, and... Let's test it out. <laughs> <laughs> no, and you, it's like when you have people in your life and you go, I'm, I'm completely loyal to this person and it's reciprocal. There's something really powerful there. Yeah. What are some of the things, Aaron, that you look for? You said your list would be completely different. No, no. I, I th just approach is different just because it was in a different, a different place, right? Mm -hmm. it, was just, it was, it was, it was a different place. I think a bit of it is like one, who's, who's available? <laughs> who's, Sometimes who's, that's all you got. <laughs> who's crazy enough to yeah. do it. Mm -hmm. But then also, and then you've got to pick your leaders out of it. And then there's things like my stuff is so much more convenient based. Like, do I like the person? Because if I don't like you, then my friends aren't going to like you. And then people who don't know us aren't going to like you because you're not likable. That's actually right? on my post-it note as well. Yeah. <laughs> do so, I want to spend time with this yeah. person? Like I, I am not a – I don't believe – like I don't believe – like. if I have – like I don't really – like you know, we talk about this. I don't really have the choice to be associated with music. Whether I whether I live to it in Alaska, or whether I or whether I move, like I've been in the most random parts of the world, and they'd be like mosaic, and I'm like, yeah. sorry, Help. you were born into this. Yes, no, it's been yeah. branded onto so, your soul. So a bit of it is like I, I like I want to protect a bit of my space of going. Okay, who's who knows when to talk and when not to talk? Who can give me my space and and be also be my friend? Who can who can lead other people and care about people and then also know how to translate that? Who who doesn't talk about other people that aren't in the room? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like I have like super strict rules about you never talk trash unless it's unless it's something you're gonna a problem you're gonna go fix. I think a lot of it is is how people talk about other people. Mm -hmm. So if I find that people are bringing up problems that they're not willing to solve, then I think that's a bit of an issue. Um, I really like. If you see something, you really got to do something about it or at least address it to some degree or build a relationship. So a lot of the people that I think we're, we built teams with were people who are willing, but also people who are willing to like learn and to listen and to be really open. Like I'm, I'm not the most you're, – you're a little intimidating, but you're much friendlier to strangers. Okay. I'll receive that. People love Lawrence. <laughs> people love Lawrence. There's like Lawrence fan clubs. I'm not the same way. <laughs> no, I'm not, no, I'm not no, the same no. way. What I would say is that uh, you and Lawrence are not – 
dissimilar in some ways. And early on in Lawrence's life, he he was known as the spirit of darkness. <laughs> spirit of darkness. I'm still known in some circles. And that, and that was because a crazy person from, yes. like, we yeah. don't know this person. Because you don't wa- tolerate crazy. Wait, hold on. The, the, the backstory to that is a crazy person came up to came up to you at, at Hollywood and was like, then you said, what did they want? They she want- wanted us to ha- give her, like, a team of people to go preach on the street in Holly Boulevard. Yeah. And I said, absolutely not. And then she went over to, to our old, our old uh, friend and pastor, Ralph Neighbor, and said, that man over there is the spirit of darkness. Yeah. <laughs> that's, what, that's, that's a true story. So. And so whenever Lawrence is grumpy... So we just kept that as his nickname. <laughs> yeah, we call him darkness. But I, but I will tell you, like, like 15 years ago here, an elder at Mosaic pulled me aside one evening and said, if you don't learn how to control your intensity, you're going to be very lonely as an older person. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was a real thing, and I received that and have, have held on to that all this time. Yeah. So, so one of the things that, that I do look for is, is, is someone who's aware of the moments, mm-hmm. right? Like... Will they let me have my moments in my like? Will they leave me alone? I need to be left alone. Do they understand the situation? Do they understand what's going on? Like, there's a lot of intense moments you deal with when you're working with people whose lives are broken, or your your life is going through a situation. Are they people who bring peace and comfort? The people that bring you more anxiety and stress. That's another thing. If you bring anxiety and stress into 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 the room, you're gonna you're gonna be under someone that's more less anxious, more peaceful <laughs> than you. Because I don't want to feel that. Because there's already enough so then i kind of like but um i but, but I, think, I think it's an important point there is that um you look for people who don't need you to be perfect who accept your imperfect imperfections well i think earlier on it was definitely i was i came from a really aggressive leader and then i took on some bad habits and then mm-hmm. and then i was figuring it out and you know and and it, it depends on what season you caught me in mm-hmm. was i going through something or not and 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 so I think there's there's the people who are, you know, I've been always been pretty open that it was like I was never the perfect person and I was always trying to work through things and grow. Um, but like, but as far as like leadership, I think it mostly stemmed from people that I found likable. Mm-hmm. And, and, I, and it wasn't like the cool kids. Like I got some super nerds on my teams. <laughs> I got some super nerds on my teams. I don't know why Tess and Kevin are looking at each other. But, <laughs> but and I, what I mean by super nerd, like I would consider Matt Pagan a super nerd. Like he's a pro athlete who serves, but if you talk to him about boards, I'm like, bro, I don't understand what you're saying. <laughs> why are we talking about millimeters and uh, of, I don't know. But I think I've tried to find people that are interesting and different and try to bring them into a room. Cause I'm like, it's the Avengers. You got to find people who are so unique and so different. And we've got architects and engineers and, mm-hmm. and different like artists. And it's just, it's, it isn't about, I think we never try to find cookie cutter people either. People who genuinely think and people who are asking questions and people who are like diving into it and you're not asking them to do it. They're just already finding things for themselves to do and connecting with other people and actually bringing their other lives into church to those people who are the most open and the most willing. And, and like, we talk about this a lot. Like if you're going to grow a church, you can't, your biggest inviters, you can't make them leaders. They have to be like a part of the team, but free to like go to lunch and go to breakfast and pick up and drop off. Like those are your promoters. And and I think a lot of times people make the mistake of like the cool kids or those kids who like have those friends. Oh, come here and be with me 24-7. I'm like, I want to, you have my phone number and you can call me anytime, but I need you with your friends and bringing them in or this place will never grow. The difficult thing in that with that decision to free them to be the person who brings is that you feel the loss on your team because yeah. they're probably also the person who's most 
capable of helping you grow those teams. Right. Yeah. You know, so you yeah, have to make the decision. Thing. Do I want them to help me grow this serving team or do I send them to go and reach all their friends to bring them to church? Because they're probably not going to be able to do both at the same time. See, I was that person. I was not the person you wanted to recruit to lead the, the chair stacking team or the setup team or the parking team. I was willing to do all that. Yeah. But I was the person you really wanted to leave out in the real world, bringing all his friends to you, church. And you just said it, right? And you, you've taught this forever, but your willingness to be the person to mm-hmm. lead the setup team mm-hmm. shows that you're the person that should be trusted to go and bring everybody else along with you. Yeah, But if you had me there two hours before, like a gathering and two hours after, you've basically neutralized me from being able to bring my friends. Right. And that's why I, I feel like there has to be a real celebration of people whose gifting is they're just super enjoyable and they have a whole crowd of people who will go anywhere they go. Yeah. And but then I have then you have those guys, those special guys like a like a Don and this this <laughs> Dan, I can never say his last name, Dumini from South Africa, who he would literally make his friends serve on the teams with him. You live for with me for free, you can help. And you'd see these dudes and they thought they were just there to go meet cute girls and he's like, stack chairs. <laughs> Now that's a real gift. See, when and, you can bring he, all your friends in and, and they're serving and he with made you. It ex- <laughs> made it exciting, you know? Yeah. And I think, and it isn't all service-based, mm-hmm. right? But but it is, and it is friendship and it is relationship. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, people who want to elevate, like I think we, I love not being on stage. So mm-hmm. if you were in Venice, there'd be weeks where you wouldn't see me necessarily do a, a certain thing. You would have Oscar and you would have Ryan Cook and you'd have Matt Pagan who would, you know, have a panic attack every time I'd send him up there. And like, and then you'd have, I would just pick someone in the front. You'd be like, mm-hmm. if you're, I would tell every hundred, the, all the hundred people, if you're not prepared to give an offering talk or to talk about why you tithe or to talk about why you serve, then you have to think about it. Because mm-hmm. at any point, if I see you and I feel like God's speaking to me, or maybe I just don't want to do it that day, I'm going to pick you and you're going to go and you're going to have a meltdown, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think people are less judgmental when they have an ownership thing about it, when they're like, oh, no, I'm going to have to do that someday. So I'm going to support the person who has to do that someday. And <laughs> it's just it creates a different kind of connectivity. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I think it's a special, special thing. Yeah, I would say one of the, that's one of the unique things when I would go out to Venice was just the wide variety of people involved, the unexpected people in leadership. Um, it was never the famous people or, quote, the pretty people or – you know, the popular people. It, it was just such a eclectic um, group of lost boys <laughs> and a lot of times and girls. And, and that was, but you also held people to a super high standard. And yeah, the first, the first, sorry, we could finish. No, no, I remember early on, I think Emerson told the story how he was leading the team and they were, uh, they were late all the, the time. It and was the first Venice team meeting yeah. ever. And Emerson said, I got so anxious because. He, you know, he never made people show up on time. He didn't really ever show up on he's time. Li- he's lying. He's <laughs> lying. Yeah. His Mexican-Bolivian uh, culture uh, overrode his German culture. And he said the first meeting that you were in, people came in late, and you basically told everyone, if you're late, you're free to leave now. Well, I said, next time you're <laughs> late, you wait outside, and I'll come talk to you afterwards. Mm-hmm. And then there were three people that were still outside because we locked the door. And then we had a chat, you know? And it was sucked because, one— these weren't my friends. Like, they were mostly Emerson's people, mm-hmm. you know? But we kind of knew Em was going to Mexico. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I got paired up with Emerson to build this thing. And and you were there. That was a bad day. And the, some of the paid people showed up late. And, I, and you, right? Yeah. 
not me though. Not you. No, no, not you. <laughs> nah, you were there. You were. I think we were <laughs> together. And then and 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 it really shows you though because it's like oh if you're if if you're if you if you don't beat me there, then there's a commitment issue to some some degree. And not every situation. I wasn't like that forever. No, but Emerson Holman goes. I was so anxious, and yet our culture changed where people started taking things seriously, and the quality of everything elevated instantly. Yeah. And so yeah. and. And, and, and then I would have people come to me and go, which campus should I go to? And I would try to be, you know, a little more like, well, if you go here, it'll be like this. You know, if you go here, it'll be like one. this. And I would have people sometimes tell me, um, well, I want to go to Venice because they're more like Navy SEALs. <laughs> and, uh, and I feel okay, like... Yeah, there's a crazy person <laughs> running it. <laughs> and if I don't go there, I'm not going to get to become a leader. <laughs> And uh, but it, it, each each place had but but there was the, each place had a different thing. Yeah. And I know? think one of your challenges was you were driven, focused, intense, and you'd come out of Hollywood, where you could, you know, work with so many volunteers who really they had so much free time they were desperate to do something. Right. They were yeah. so lonely yeah. they yeah. wanted yeah. to volunteer. Yeah. They wanted to be at every gathering. It wasn't like you were having to demand it of them. Sometimes we tell them you can't be here this much, and they would beg to be there more. Then you go to South Pass, where you have husbands and wives working full-time jobs, and they have kids. Yeah. And now you're going, okay, how do we how do we build something meaningful with people who have razor-thin discretionary time? Yeah, in Hollywood, we could send a text in the morning and have a team of people meet us at noon to work on things. Yeah, and they were and, pumped about it. And yeah. I, one of the adjustments I had to make was things have to be scheduled out they need to be patterned a bit yeah. more predictable so they can be built into people's life because yeah. it wasn't – I think it would be wrong to go they're less committed because they don't can't show up. Yeah. No, it's that I had to adjust to create space in their world so they could plan ahead for it. And we might get less time, but because these are really actually talented people, yeah. the little time they gave would be higher quality yeah. than the abundance of time somebody else would give. Yeah, I and mean, it really helped – especially going to South Pass really helped – because we noticed something, you noticed something that that long before we started South Pass, that just the morning was different than the night, and, mm-hmm. and the different services had genuinely had different people, different walks of life. People who who found Mosaic at the eight p.m. once they started dating someone, started going to <laughs> earlier and earlier services, and then once they had kids, it was the earliest service, mm-hmm. and then you know, and then it, or the gathering, and then and then they would move out to the suburbs, and then we'd lose them because it was like, okay, you're not driving thirty minutes to church, mm-hmm. and then we started South Pass, and you got. A completely different demographic, and then really young kids that were awesome, and they really helped build the church. But it was such a contrast. It was if you could do a social experiment, everyone. I'll use extreme language. Everyone there who was like business people, they both both the parents work. They had a they had kids. They were so low maintenance. Oh, and it was and then such a pleasure. And then everyone who went there from Hollywood that was in that quote Hollywood culture. They were the most dysfunctional and toxic people. But now they stood out because in Hollywood, their toxicity was normal. <laughs> and then now they're in South Pass, and it looks so different. Yeah. It was for me just watching this going, wow, when I used to work in an intensely violent area in, um, years ago, and then I would travel, go somewhere else and come back, I would see the world I was in with fresh eyes again. Because honestly, when you're walking and living in a highly violent, highly impoverished um, area, 
you almost become blind, desensitized to the amount of violence and darkness you're around all the time. Then I'd go to Oregon for a trip and come back and I'd go, oh my gosh, I live in this space. This is the world I'm in. And I think South Pass, um, that experiment allowed us to see in many ways the high toxicity that we work in every single day in Los Angeles, which is a, a leadership challenge. And what I found was the healthy people who were in South Pass with us, they didn't um, – they understood they had people integrating in who were actually very unhealthy and had an incredible amount of patience for that. <laughs> like they didn't get worked up about much. They were no, super healthy. They were healthy. <laughs> they don't, they don't buy into drama online. Yeah. They, don't, they don't gossip. And they, they don't have the time to deal with that. No. You know, I don't care to get caught up in all, the, all of those things. Um, so on a personal level, because that's yeah. more me, I'm yeah, more yeah. that phase of life and mm-hmm. probably fit that culture better. Yeah. It was very like refreshing and, and, you know, reinvigorating and life-giving for me to go like, okay, I have this space of people who are incredibly healthy, encouraging. Um, they don't have a lot of time, but they're going to send me a quick text just to like encourage us in what we're doing and all, all those quiet, subtle things that that were happening behind the scenes. Okay, I'm going to ask you both a question. First thing with Lawrence, I, I, I think that um, when you have you ever had a goldfish, like one of the danger points for goldfish is when you change the water, because if you change the water completely right away, you'll kill your goldfish. You have to actually change the water in in almost like stages. Did you know that, Tess? Yes, that happened to my goldfish. You you killed your goldfish. I did. Wow, and uh, you heard it here. <laughs> and, uh, see. These are things that we should all know, okay? (laughs) And so now you go to Seattle. Mm -hmm. So now you're a goldfish moving from one bowl of water to another. And what were some of the things that you were able to take with you? What are some of the things that you had to adjust? Like maybe just rattle off a couple of things. Yeah, um, I think in South Pass, one of the things I focused on early there was finding people who I would classify as builders. And a builder could look like their their contribution means they're going to faithfully attend when they're in town and they're going <laughs> to give and they're going to be committed that way. And um, so I changed my my mindset when we went. And we talked about this a lot. Was when we're looking for builders and we're not going to base it on how much time they have or availability they have. It's like they're committed to the process with mm. us. That was something I, I took with me. I think the adjustment was that I've had to make there was um, uh, here um, – I would say LA is like people are driven toward I, probably being famous more than being successful, yeah. right? In Seattle, people are driven to be successful and they don't care if they're ever famous. And by success, you mean like what? Like in prof- like professional success, I would yeah. say, like career success. And so people yeah. build their life around achieving this career advancement at a young age, which means um, they're working hard. They're working 60, 70, 80 hours a week. And then they're gone on the weekends, every weekend, because they're they're burned out by Friday afternoon. Mm. And so I had to go, how do we adjust what we're doing for people who have, uh, they're working hard and they have the means, the financial means to be able to get out of town whenever they want. Here, it was like, they're here and they don't have the money to go away. And if they go away, it's probably because they're broke and they're moving home. <laughs> so I had to be able to adjust, how do we develop teams? How do we approach building ministries around a, a different uh, life pattern that, that I was experiencing there, which was very different also because I grew up in Seattle, but I was gone for 20 years. Returning was a relearning familiar places that were mm. actually quite different. Mm. All right. So now I'm going to ask you from two different perspectives. One, uh, I think it was January, you came to me and said, Dad, we need to, I think we need to shut down Venice. Uh, we, oh, we January fi- 2020. 
two years ago now. Yeah, we failed. It's not going to work. We just need to yeah. kill it because it would be like a mercy killing. <laughs> and I looked at you and I said, hey, there's another option. And you said, what's that? And I said, why don't you, you know, get your button gear, go to work and make it work. <laughs> yeah, it was 2019. It was 2019. two years ago. Yeah. It was before Venice Oh wow, was big. Yeah, it was. It, yeah, and it, yeah. and you it, it had ups and downs. You you had to keep moving locations. Every time you had momentum, you lose it by having to relocate. And then you'd uh, go to the famous Rose Room and pack that place out. And then you'd go to a different place and yeah, lose yeah. that. And and so I think there was just a lot of discouragement that a lot of work yeah. seemed to keep hitting walls. Yeah. So, but the but when you went back, it suddenly blew up and went past five hundred in really a short amount of time, maybe six months. Right. And uh, so what were some of the adjustments that you made from, bef- I'm going to say, BC and AD, <laughs> before crisis? And, and <laughs> adjustments we made. I mean, we had a conversation because we started it in Venice mm-hmm. as like a small, as like a, a, I think it was like a, was it, what were we calling them back then? Was it a crew you night? A crew, probably. Crew, yeah. like crew, the, first yeah. re- the first seasons of crews. Mm-hmm. And then that, like a kid came to Jesus young kid and and then um and from there we like rented it rented a venue and that was where the rose room was and it kind of grew in there and that room's pretty small so then we were like looking for more of a venue we could rent more frequently and then we found it in santa monica and then we went from there and we got kicked out of that venue and we were you didn't know that story until (laughs) last week i had kept it kind of quiet but i got us kicked out of the venue oh i was aware yeah, you no, were I, I, I had to call no, you. I, I think knew. you were my my boss at the time. What? I just wanted to hear the details, but I knew. Yeah, you didn't. You didn't hear of why we got in the fight. But that that venue guy was was pretty. He lived in the venue. He yeah, had I cats. That. It was a whole thing. Yeah, people with cats. And and then we ended up going to I think five different venues. We got kicked out of a venue because the city wouldn't didn't like the noise. The neighborhood. One venue was like essentially the, the equivalent of like the Staples Center. To our size, it was like twelve hundred seater, <laughs> and we were like two hundred people barely, <laughs> bare on a good Sunday. Or yeah, mm-hmm. and then we went from morning to night. We were losing families. Like we were just, it was just getting whiplashed to, to every venue. Venice doesn't have a lot of venues, and then we ended up back at the Rose Room. We did Thursday nights, and 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 it was like I think it was like hundred twelve people, and it was dying, and it was just like lower and lower and lower, and we were having to do setup at like. Five o'clock or four thirty, so we were having to get off work early, and then it was just like super hard to get people there. It was just, it was really tough. Then it would like, I remember one day it like flood the freeways flooded. Do you remember that? <laughs> oh, yeah. And I like lived fifteen minutes from the venue, and me and Matt couldn't actually get to the venue because they had shut the road. Like this has never happened. <laughs> like we just had so much bad luck. The, the 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 truck that parks in Hollywood that had all of our gear got stuck on the 10 because it was literally like a water world. <laughs> like everything could have gone wrong was just going wrong. And then I called you begging you, just please kill it. Put me out of my misery. Like <laughs> this thing is dying. Like me and Carlos weren't even talking anymore because we just were embarrassed. Like it was just like, this is awkward. And then you just said like, okay, well, if it sucks already, you're not the greatest speaker. So why don't you kind of suck. It kind of sucks. So just why don't, why don't you speak through it and just like learn to communicate and 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 grow. And then if it dies, it it dies. And they're going to they'll roll back into Mosaic in the main mm-hmm. campus and or they'll hate you forever and never come back. <laughs> and And so I just started speaking. Like I spoke, I think every week for like, five months just straight through like every week every week i could and 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 um 
And then it, one day, I think it, it took eight weeks of speaking to pretty much no no one. I mean, our team was 90 people. So there were 30 <laughs> guests, you know? And so, and not, and not our paid team. Our volunteer team was 90 people. And so it was 30 guests. And so like, you know, welcome team would just welcome each other. Mm-hmm. And we had the most committed 90 people, but but they were, we just couldn't grow it. And then one day it just, it, it, five people came, 10 people came, 20. And we were like excited. Okay, this thing's growing, this thing's going. Okay, it's building, it's building, it's building. And they got to the point where I was like, okay, now, it's it's actually something, and I, and it was growing on me speaking. Like you weren't speaking there. No, you you hadn't you didn't speak there for two. For, I don't think I, I felt like you you had to climb that out on your own. Yeah, and then we got to a point where we uh we we it packed the room out. The room wasn't big, you know. It was twelve hundred square feet. We got mm-hmm. I think we got like a hundred and or two hundred and twenty five people in there, and it was mm-hmm. that was it. There were people sitting on stage. There were people sitting on the concrete. There were people sitting next to me while I was speaking. And and that was a really cool moment. The last week that we met there, we had I had met a principal because we had kind of talked about like we gotta get into schools. Schools are kinder sometimes and they want they need the money and also their decent space and p- families feel comfortable going to schools. And we there was a school on Abbott Kinney in Venice I was trying to get and I I had met with them a couple of times and they were really kind, but they had an old, old, old church that had been there for 30 years. There were like 10 people. And I was like, I'll pay for their relocation, please. <laughs> like, I'll do it personally, please get them out. <laughs> and then finally one day the church was like, it was like a really sweet old black church. They just said they were moving to a different location that worked better for them. And that guy, um, the principal called us and we're like, a year later, and I was yeah. somewhere else. And I got an email, I was in Mexico and I got an email. And I was like, you got a venue. This Sunday, go for it. And we were so excited. And, and so we, um, I mean, we had to paint the room. We had to walk. That thing was nasty. That room was nasty. I love Barry, the principal, but that place is nasty. And um, and then it just grew. It grew over time. You know, families were coming. We were we were able to to do two services. I think we hit about just over 500 right after, um, the right before the week COVID hit. Right. So you broke 500, then we have a pandemic. And we had a pandemic, yeah. <laughs> And it, and it was early in the year. Like, it was it was February. Yeah. So I was like, we're going to hit 1,000 this year for sure. We'll hit it that. I was like, we, I, at the rate we were growing, we were, yeah. we were you know, adding a third almost every six weeks. And so it was really cool. I was feeling excited about myself and about our team. And it was to the point where I didn't make sense being on stage as much because there was a lot of families, a lot of kids. So I was trying to find anyone who had a kid and just put them up there to do offering, <laughs> to do hosting, to I was like, bring your baby with you. <laughs> just to show we're not children running this thing. Yeah. And and it was a really cool experience, like some of the most exciting times. But but it's but you know, it's two years later. It f- starting to forget it, you know. Mm-hmm. It's crazy to look back and go, you know, our team's around, but you know, when you don't have any thing to do, it's, it becomes tough, you know? Yeah. And by the way, just to encourage both of you, uh, both Seattle and Venice, even though the campuses have not met in over a year, um, still have so many people who are faithfully giving every single week who yeah. still, you know, identify and declare Mosaic as their church and you as their pastor and the and that campus is their campus, which is really beautiful. Mm-hmm. And we have a, maybe a couple more minutes. We've been uh, having this beautiful conversation for about an hour, but I didn't know if you guys had any um, uh, rapid-fire questions for me. I have some questions, but they're kind of like a little negative. Well, he looks. Can I ask a question? Yeah. yeah. So years ago, mm-hmm. I remember being here in Hollywood. We were growing fast, and you pulled me outside for a moment. 
And he said, the room is super full. Should we go to two gatherings next week? We can announce it tonight. You asked me if we should do it. Mm-hmm. And I know you didn't need my input. You were going to make whatever decision you felt. <laughs> Why? What were you looking for in my my response? Because you've asked a lot of younger leaders on our team questions like that at certain moments. What, yeah. what were you looking for? Well, I mean, several things. One, I really do believe in like counsel and getting input from other people. And I think I'm wiser when I have more eyes looking at a problem. And so I rarely, if ever, make a decision in isolation, just as my rule of thumb in life. And that's an anything. And secondly, if I make the decision by myself and don't involve you in the process, um, you're not learning what to look for. And so being a part of that, um, when I can ask you and see what you see, I can know where you are in your leadership journey. I can know if you're seeing what needs to be seen or if you're missing what needs to be seen, because one day you have to make the decision without me. And so if I'm not bringing you into the decision now, you're not going to be able to effectively make the decision later. And so I, I, I feel like that's a part of the mentoring process is, is yeah, I can make those decisions by myself, and, and I may still make the same decision I would make. Um, but I can't tell you my decisions have been changed by asking people, and then suddenly they see something I don't see, or, or it might mitigate when we make the decision, you, you know, because I move fast. So I'm, I'm literally in a conversation with you about I'm going to make this call tonight mm-hmm. one way or the other. What call? About going to two certain gatherings or not that Yeah, day. adding a second time oh. in the evening and asking my PTSD. thoughts on it as if you needed my uh, <laughs> you know, opinion. Yeah. Yeah. And so one, I just think the leaders who don't get input from other people are, are not um, ac- accessing the greater wisdom of the team. And two, they're also not helping people become better leaders because they're not letting them be a part of the process. So it's both sides. You said there's some mean, mean questions. What no, not you? mean questions. I think I think a lot of stuff has to do with like what do you do with like church leaders you don't like and things like that. So I don't I don't really want to go super negative. No, I, but to me it's like that question like what do you do with church leaders you don't like? Well, go uh, to me, a, can, can go I ask to a different church? Why do leaders in church tend to treat people poorly? I don't at, think or they as do. if they are greater than them. I I think most pastors treat people incredibly well. In fact, I think most pastors subjugate their own happiness for the service of other people. So I think you should probably stop judging tens of thousands of pastors who are never known by anyone that just lived their whole life for others by a few people who become celebrities or more well-known. Um, you know, that's my experience. I agree. I completely agree. Yeah. Yeah. My boss is very nice, is a very nice person, but not a great leader. Any tips? Well, somehow he got himself to be the boss. <laughs> so he might be a better leader than you know, but um, I think sometimes if you have a boss who's not leading effectively from your perspective, the best thing is to ask questions. The worst thing to do is to go in with conclusions because then you're acting like you're the boss. Yeah. The main thing, the best thing would be to ask questions so they can see things that maybe they are not seeing. Yeah, I think be a great, a great employee and a great follower. Yeah. And, that, and that can mean you can do more. As, sometimes you can do more as the, as the person under the leader than the actual leader. Right. Yeah. Because you can go and get stuff done, and all he can do is get, say, you know, I don't want you to do that. Let's not do that next time. Mm-hmm. Right? Like he can pull you back, but if right. you're doing stuff that, that ultimately maybe he's too nervous to do, he's not going to get upset with you. He's just going to be grateful someone did it. <laughs> no, go, go. Yeah, and I would say, you know, 
change your mindset and go, my role is to help my boss be more successful yeah. right. and elevate yeah. them the best you can, not by teaching them, but by making their job easier, by filling gaps, by yeah. doing all that, not for your own advancement, but knowing that that's exactly what you would hope for when you hopefully one day are the boss. Yeah, because ironically, I think I'm a, I'm a bad boss for people who are not doing a good job, and I'm a really good boss for people who are doing a good job <laughs> because you make me a better boss by doing a great job. <laughs> You know? Yeah, I was going to ask, what do you think, mm -hmm. how do you think uh, everything going on in the world right now affects the future of the church, whether it be technology, whether it be like massive moral failures in, in the media, whether it be, because if, if we do feel like the church, because we haven't been meeting as a church as far as like in person, that people have been have, have had far more time to listen to to, to out media outlets that they wouldn't pay attention to as much. Do you feel like that's negatively influenced the church? In a, in a way, or, or and, and then maybe two parts, COVID, what's the church going to look like when all this comes back? Well, first of all, I, I do want us to uh, maybe take a moment and acknowledge that there are people all over Texas who are really suffering right now because of the storms, the snow, the ice, the oh, yeah. uh, freeze, people have no water and, and power. and, and our, It's our, happening in like the middle of America, like 70% yeah. of the country is covered in snow, I think. Yeah, so we do, our, our, our prayers go out to you, but also... Um, when things become possible to serve, our our money will be uh, um, used to help people, and and we're going to serve in, in any way we can. Um, but we but we need to realize that people are going through more right now than maybe they've gone through in a lifetime. And, and when you think of just the incredible like social unrest in our society, you know the um, the deep intensity between civil rights and and political disarray, the pandemic, the quarantine, the fear of the vaccination, the you know the incredible controversy even around the vaccines for people, and and I know there are people who diminish or belittle it, saying why are you afraid of vaccines? But uh, I think Black Americans have a lot of legitimate reasons to be distrusting of government and uh, of vaccines, and and I, I don't think we should belittle people's concerns. Because I was listening today on the news, and I'm going, you shouldn't belittle. The, the fears that people have about these things. And, yeah. and then we have, we had the fires that created a pollution level in Seattle to LA, to the whole pack rim, the fires in Australia. The, um, it just seems like we've, if there's ever been a season of plagues, it feels like we've just gone through so many plagues. And, and, and then you have um, moral failures among pastors or, or, or Christian leaders. And by the way, that's always been true, and it will always be true because there are hundreds of thousands of pastors across the world, and they're all human, and some of them are going to mess up. There's just no way around it. Some of them are, are, are going to um, be broken while they're trying to do things. They're, they're going to you know, um, let us down, disappoint us, and, and I just think we need to realize that, that pastors are human beings. And, and some of them um, became pastors trying to create a therapeutic space to he deal with their own mess. And, and it's true for us across the board. And so I, I do think it's a tough time right now. And what I would just say for leaders, pastors, for anyone who's involved in this space, one, don't be a spreader of the negative. 
like what's the phrase you got to use? Don't don't be so thirsty. It seems like people are so thirsty for negative information. They're so thirsty for gossip. They're so thirsty for watching an actor collapse, watching a, a, a media um, personality, you know, f- um, get canceled. We're we're just in this mode right now where we just seem to be um, to have this appetite to watch people self destruct. And I think that we need to be focusing on the good that's going on in the world and focus on the good that people are doing. And there are no Vanity Fair articles about pastors who are really doing a great job. So why listen to them when they're... You know, it's like, look, why read negative stories in magazines and newspapers about even Christian leaders when they don't take any time to write about the positive things that Christian leaders are doing? Be careful about media sources that only highlight when people are messing up. And uh, and and so I I'd love to for us to highlight when people are doing doing well when people are actually serving the world when people are actually making a difference and yeah. um, and you know and I, that that's my thought is that we need to start being thirsty for the good mm-hmm. and celebrating that and highlighting the good that people are doing and you know I mean this past year your mom's been working with a team building a million dollar school in Malawi and I just don't think Vanity Fair is going to do a story on how hard she's worked to build that school and to raise money to help these kids that will never um, know who did it for them and whose names we may never know um, why don't we focus on the good that people are doing because there's a lot of good going on yeah yeah that's a really good word and that's about leading like yeah. leadership is really about moving people toward the world that you feel must be created. I've definitely had a few conversations, even over the last year, of like, fr- not everyone, just a few people of like, of like, why do you only text me when there's drama? Like, you need to filter some stuff out. Like, I ask you how you're doing just any given day. And, yeah. I, and also, I don't care about the drama unless you want me to care about it. Yeah. Why, do, why, why, you know what I mean? Why are we yeah. so interested in it? And even if it's in my benefit, but it's just like, hey, it's, it, it's move on. Let's yeah. move forward. I mean, I, I know for you there was a time where you just you decided to quit. You're not going to be passionate anymore. You're going to go do something else um, because you have the ability to be a businessman. You have the ability to make more money in a different place where you have no scrutiny and no haters and no attack. And I mean, if I remember correctly, I basically did not let you do that. <laughs> truth than that. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, I just went after you and said, you know, if you're moving to the Northwest, why don't you just start the yeah. campus? Yeah, this is hard. Yeah. I mean, uh, surely over the years, you've had moments and you've shared this at times when you're like, Last I just want to tap out, <laughs> you know, same with you. And yeah. at the I'd end say of- I'm in that place right now. Yeah. <laughs> like being honest. Yeah. yeah. And I think the question is, like, does your belief in what you're working to build is it more significant than all of the, the hate, the 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 pain, the yeah. arguing with people, the, the whatever's going to come at you? Is it worth all of that? And um, you know, at the end of that day, it it, it was. Mm-hmm. But surely, I've, I've of course had moments where I'm like, why? None of this is worth all of that. And then you take a breath, and you get up the next day, and you go, no, I'm going to keep going. And I know you've had those yeah. moments. Oh, I mean, even like last week, I told Kim, I said. Like, I have the capacity to do a lot of things, and and it would be easier. There'd be no public criticism, and and I would make a lot more money. 
and no one could actually say anything about it because I'm not a pastor, you know? The only thing that keeps me here is this um, unshakable realization that Jesus changed my life and that he is um, the catalyzer of the church and that the church for him is essential and central to everything in life. And so sometimes I'm a little angry going, I would like you, Jesus, just to release me to go do something else and to, to tap out of this space because it's just a really hard space to be in. And and then I look at what it does to you know my family and and I go, is, is it really worth that kind of cost? So I guess the truth is, every day that I choose to be the pastor of Mosaic, I'm saying the answer is yes. It's worth the price that we pay. And I will say, when we made the decision to move to Seattle, which was not contingent upon Mosaic Seattle becoming something, mm-hmm. we knew it was time to move. But when we had the conversation about Mosaic coming to Seattle, yeah. um, it us going to start a church in Seattle would, was contingent upon us being connected to Mosaic mm. because I wanted to have a person who I could follow, who I knew who was going to protect my family. I had a community of people who I wanted to do this with, even if it was from a thousand miles away, because when it gets difficult, I did not want to have to go through those things, those times by myself. And, um, and that's the thing people don't see um, up close about how you lead is that you've always protected our family. You've always protected me as a, as a person uh, above me being on the staff here. And so I knew I could trust you um, even if it was from a distance still. Yeah. And if we stop doing the good that we're called to do, aren't we letting the hate win? You, you know, and um, in fact, when I see like, God changed someone's life. You know, when I when I listen to Kevin talk about his life before Jesus and his life since Jesus, I go, oh, yeah, that's why it's worth it. You, you know, when um, when you 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 get, I mean, I I've gotten I got an email from this woman whose husband was tragically killed a couple of weeks ago by um, a guy who stole a car, was running from the police and hit him, and she said her husband found Jesus here at Mosaic and um, and reached out because it was just so devastating. And one of and one of our people from our team back has been meeting with her and she's saying, thank you so much, you know. And and when you see, because I don't know how a person makes it through this life without Jesus. Mm-hmm. I, I've got to be honest with you. I'm like, like the intense pressure, the emotional strain, the relational crises we face, the forget pandemics and quarantines, just the stuff of everyday life is so challenging. I don't think I've, I would have made it through my life without Jesus in my life. And so I, I, I just, I, I, I feel sad for people who are trying to go through this life without the knowledge that there's a God who loves them and who died for them and lives for them and that they don't have to be alone. They have to do this alone. And so that's why we do this. That's why I do it. And uh, it's because um, uh, Jesus genuinely has been this, my source of life. And I really believe that for everyone who's listening and for everyone who's not. I'm listening. I'm listening. No, I meant for oh. everyone who's <laughs> <laughs> So anyway. are we wrapping this up? Yeah, I think this has been a good conversation. It, you feel good? 
Anything else you yeah, want to thanks say? Thanks so much for inviting me in very spontaneously this morning. You want to shout out your wife? Oh, my wife, Kelly. She's amazing. She's at home with the kids. She is uh, homeschooling our kids in the midst of this Oof. and doing an incredible job. So it's crazy. Yeah. You have good kids, though. We do have good kids. Yeah. yeah. All right. Thank you for listening to the That Already podcast. Uh, you can rate and review this podcast on iTunes. Well, actually, we, we broke 700 ratings. What does that mean? 700 reviews. Oh. That means 700 different people rated and reviewed it. That's rated, amazing. Rated it and reviewed the podcast. It's pretty cool. That's incredible. It's really, wow. it's really incredible. And then you can also check this out on Spotify and on YouTube if you want to see um, Lawrence's beautiful face. Do we have any merch available? We, uh, we can. We'll have merch available. <laughs> we'll I'll release some new stuff. So check All it right. out. Check it out tomorrow. Um, you can also join us for church on Sunday too. And we have a new thing called Mosaic Houses, which is essentially just a con- like a, a, a global connecting point to bringing Mosaic into your home and connecting with the team and so we can know who you are and identify and equip and to, to kind of grow and build. And Lawrence is leading that strategy with us here in LA and in Seattle and across the world. And I just got, I got assigned two people, which is pretty cool. Um, someone from France and then someone from a city I cannot spell. So we are working on figuring yeah. out where that's from. So if you have a community of people that you meet with every week and join yeah. us for Mosaic. If it's just you, if it's one other person, if it's a few other people, whether you're in Latin America or in Asia, Europe, L.A. And you want to have a pin that there's a Mosaic house yeah. in your city, let us know. Let us know. I think this is exciting. Yeah, we've already had such an incredible response in just a few days. Yeah. And now it's just going to build over time. But people are excited. I, we're excited. Our team's excited to work and to help build this uh, all over the world. Yeah. Yeah. All right, All let's right. do it. Hey. Should we do this? Oh, wow. Must be like, I'm keeping this cup. <laughs> Are you? <laughs> Absolutely. Send one for Kelly. Send one for Kelly. All right, goodbye. Take care.